Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. The best gym leggings can be hard to find. You want a workout kit that won't fall down mid-sweat, leggings that'll hold you in but without digging in, and don't flash your underwear. I mean, they're, they're pretty hard to find. But I'll tell you now, you can stop your search because not only do Sweaty Betty's leggings have gorgeous designs, they're sculpting and sweat-proof, which is why I love them so much. They are such a flattering fit and stay both dry and cool throughout my workouts and also dry incredibly fast. If you haven't tried them yet, honestly, give them a go. With 20% off the entire range on sweatybetty.com, you can get this by using the code FOODFORTHOUGHT at the checkout. Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice that you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authoritative voices in health, so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. Confirmed cases of coronavirus have now spanned the globe, and figures of new cases are increasing each day. This virus is one that has spiraled out of our control and leaving countries across the globe in a state of emergency. It is expected that the coronavirus pandemic could affect the UK well into 2021 and could lead to 7.9 million people being hospitalised, adding even more strain on the already overstretched NHS. With it already affecting each and every one of us on some level, the actions we now take can help reduce the chances of us catching and spreading it. This week's Food for Thought sees NHS doctor, Dr. Joshua Woolrich and I make sense of the evolving advice the government, World Health Organization and NHS are giving in these uncertain times. Please note, all evidence-based information shared in this episode are accurate as of the 20th of March, 2020. So hello, Joshua, and thank you so much for giving up your time. I know you've been on nights this week to talk with us today. Not a problem. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I think with the light of the current situation and the confusion that's going around, I think a good way to start would be to ask you whose advice exactly should we all be listening to and what, what should we be ignoring? Uh, yeah, I mean, 
as much as that sounds like a relatively easy question, um, it's I, I think it's not. Um, <laughs> but what I would say, there are two there are two very good sources at the moment. Um, one is the WHO, and they are always uh, a constant source to be checking up on things, uh, checking for updates, looking for facts in regards to kind of the latest news and whether or not like, kind of on treatments and and what we should be doing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then the second one is looking for your kind of local um, health guidance. So obviously in the UK, that's Public Health England or uh, or the NHS, both of which kind of echo each other in regards to the advice they give. In the US, I'm aware that that's the CDC. Um, really, it's those, as much as people don't really like uh, kind of automatically trusting the government often, at the moment, they have the most insight into what's going on. Um, they have the most communication with people that know what they're talking about. Um, and so that is a good plumb line. Apart from that, really, you've kind of got uh, healthcare professionals, doctors, epidemiologists, infection control experts, you know, all that kind of stuff get starts getting a bit blurry. So really, if you can find someone that you trust uh, and that you know is going to be honest with you, um, feel free to add them to that that kind of basic list. Does that that kind of make sense? I think that makes perfect sense. And you said WHO for people that don't know the World Health Organization uh, at the beginning. So a lot of these actual sites like the WHO, they have a pretty good Instagram page. They've got some cool infographics that they pop up every now and again. Mm. So, so they are accessible. And I couldn't agree more. It was a bit of an open question because when I said, who should we be ignoring? I think, <laughs> as you said, um, there's a lot of panic and there's a lot of fear. And with panic and fear, and as a human race, comes wives' tales, comes yeah. comforting kind of sources of knowledge which erupt from somewhere and develop further into something that's completely and utterly misconstrued from the start. So let, let's go right back in. And for everyone listening, let's start with, we know about coronavirus. What exactly is this virus? Uh, well, so viruses themselves are just kind of encapsulated DNA. So they're just li little bits of DNA that are surrounded in a, in a lipid or a fat membrane. Um, they're not really living as such. Um, we, we call bacteria living. We don't really call viruses living. They're just kind of a pretty annoying little organisms um, that get their way into our body and, and replicate. That's all they do, really. Um, and the response and, and us becoming unwell is a side effect of our immune system trying to fight against the virus and the cells that the viruses um, get into uh, dying as the viruses replicate. So that, that's what it is. Uh, and the coronavirus itself is a, is a particular type of virus. The, the coronaviruses are a family of viruses. We've come across a couple of them in the past. Um, SARS has been one of them. MERS has been another, which people are starting to hear about a bit more now with this new one. Um, and then we're calling this new one COVID-19. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a virus that can infect. It's not man-made, just to clarify. Um, it is something that as an organism, it, it has developed and mutated over time. Um, and it won't necessarily be the last coronavirus that we, or type of coronavirus that we see. Um, hopefully it's the last one we see that is doing something like this and causes a pandemic. But uh, it's kind of how viruses work, unfortunately. 
No, you're right. And I think we've been very complacent or very lucky, let's say, for a long time where we've we've had vaccinations for many things. We've had knowledge on many types of viruses. But when you get a new, I guess the terminology, would it be a new strain when you get a new type of virus emerging? it can cause a lot of problems because we don't know what we're dealing with. So what are the symptoms that people should be looking out for? Because again, I think this is confusing for people right now. Yeah, well, the, the difficulty is, is that there's a wide crossover between um, the the common symptoms of this new coronavirus and other uh, kind of normal flu or, or having colds or other viral illnesses that are that, that are tending to go around, especially in countries where it's uh, in the southern, in the northern hemisphere, sorry, where it's still kind of winter here, really, um, in March, uh, or at least going into early spring. I know it's sunny, but it's still cold. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, technically, this is still in the in the season of, of flu. Um, and so there are uh, people are going if this wasn't happening at the moment people would be getting symptoms similar to this and not really thinking twice about it um so the the main things to be looking out for that we know are the most common symptoms um are a, a new continuous cough and people are getting a bit confused by that terminology but that basically means a, a cough that's lasted for more than half a day um it tends to be a dry cough although um, that's not a, a good way of ruling it out, but just in general, it tends to be dry. So that means you're not really coughing up much phlegm. Um, continuous for people, because I know this is something yeah, I've yeah. asked, does that mean that they will get kind of coughing fits or is it the occasional um, kind of cough? Uh, it's going to vary, but it's it's a cough. It's a, It's not just a clearing the throat kind of cough. It's a cough that's lasting for at least half a day. It's a cough that you can't suppress. You know, you know. Think back to the last time that you had one of those, one of those kind of coughs that you just weren't feeling well, and you had a cough. You can't really ignore it, and you can't really stop it happening either. Mm. It, it's that kind of cough. I know it's difficult until you have it to to remember what it was like. But it, it, when when you're having a continuous cough that's lasting for more than half a day, you you know about it. Um, and then the second one, which you also know about, is a fever. Um, and a fever seems to be the most consistent um, symptom uh, worldwide at the moment. Uh, at, originally, we were giving a specific value that you had to be over a certain temperature, which was a thirty-seven point eight degrees centigrade, or that—that's the same as a hundred degrees Fahrenheit. But actually, um, we've kind of stopped writing that on on the advice because, again, if you have a fever, you'll know about it. This doesn't tend to be a. This doesn't. This doesn't really tend to be a, a virus that causes a very mild one. You, you'll know you're feeling hot. You've got chills. Your extremities are cold. Again, almost everybody's had a fever at some point in their life. You you feel rubbish. Um, so at the moment, it's a, either a, a fever or a new cough, and it tends to be a dry cough. There are other symptoms, but those are the two main ones. Okay, so they're the ones to look out for. And obviously, as someone working in the NHS at the moment, you are, you've been working nights as well, all mm-hmm. week. I mean, how how does it spread? Because it must be a concern for NHS staff, just as they want to be there to help. But surely it's affecting everybody, isn't it? Yeah, so I mean, it, it, it spreads like pretty much all viruses, to be fair. Um, and that tends to be through uh through droplet transmission so what we mean by that is people coughing and sneezing um sneezing isn't a very common symptom but it it is there as well but coughing is the main way um people cough 
those droplets that you cough up um, just in, in, in the cough themselves either get expelled into the air and then other people nearby you can breathe them in. Um, it's not the kind of, they're not the kind of droplets that will blow on the wind down the road and infect someone else. It is in, the, in a kind of a close vicinity, kind of the same room that you're in with somebody else. Um, or they're coughing onto their hand and then you touch a surface with your hand and you transmit those viral particles onto a surface and then somebody else comes along, touches that surface and then touches their mm-hmm. face and they can become unwell that way as well. Um, so those are the, those are the two main ways. And that's, that's similar to, to kind of all viruses. That's similar to the, to the seasonal flu, to influenza. It's similar to, to how people kind of catch colds off each other. Um, it's, it's a very similar way. It's just because of the fact that this is so contagious, we're having to, um, we're having to kind of reiterate the whole hygiene stuff far more mm. than we would normally do on a, on a, on a yearly basis. Which is so interesting because we think it would be common protocol to wash our hands after touching things, perhaps. But if anything, it's really made everybody aware of the importance of hygiene, particularly as I think, isn't it cardboard? It can live up to, is it 24 hours on cardboard? Yeah, well, we've got some early data at the moment from, from, uh, again, the difficulty here is because everything is so new and novel, um, all of the data coming out is is quite... uh, uh, what's the best way of putting it? it? So novel would be how we would describe it um, mm. scientifically, um, but it's it's non-peer reviewed. So what it means is people are be doing experiments in their own in their own kind of labs, and they're they're writing about their results. So they're not really compared with anyone else's results. So we're having to take everything with a bit of a pinch of salt because mm. they're not replicable at the moment, or they haven't been replicated. Um, so we, at the moment, the, the kind of early evidence is that, yeah, it can live for, for differing periods of time on different surfaces. Uh, cardboard seems to be at about 24 hours. You can still, you can still find some of the viral particles. Um, some other surfaces, it can be up to, up to three days of things like Mm -hmm. glass and stainless steel, um, nice and really, really smooth kind of shiny surfaces. It tends to do that. Um, but again, the difficulty here is. We don't know exactly how many particles there needs to be left for you to actually become infected because it's not just one virus that is going to lead to an infection in your body. There have to be a certain number of them before you become unwell. Um, so it's difficult to exactly know, but it, it just is kind of enforcing the the importance of making sure that if you're unwell or if you're coughing, then you, you know cleaning the environment, especially at home, is really important to to make sure that you're not passing it on to other people. Oh, definitely. I think things that people often underestimate, like even when you come in your front door, your door handle, it's very, mm. it's very apparent that, um, yeah, we need to ramp things up a lot. So if you have this, how long do you need to stay home for? Because there's a lot of confusion, a lot of questions that I received on social media um, to ask you today actually revolved around the isolation period mm. for seven to 14 days. I think it's changed a little bit recently. Yeah, so the more the more that we've looked into it, uh, and the more that we've got evidence around kind of incubation periods and things, we've got a better idea as to what a safe period of time is. Um, and again, this is going to vary um, depending on what your country is advising. However, the current evidence from from the from the World Health Organization, and this is the evidence that the UK is currently implementing, is if you're unwell so in the uk that's if you develop a fever or if you develop a uh, a, a new continuous cough um, then you need to self-isolate for seven days 
and what that what that period of time does is it's as long as you um as long as you don't get unwell enough to need to go into hospital um and uh, we can talk about kind of what that might look like if you do need to um in a bit uh, but those 7 days tends to be long enough um statistically for you to um come out the other end of the illness and not be contagious anymore and okay. so those 7 days are a good a good um uh, a good statistically relevant period of time to be isolating for now a lot of the confusion at the moment is around people that live with you um so the uk guidance at the moment is that people that are living with you in the house should isolate for 14 days with you um now that that's led to some confusion because people are saying well why is it longer if i don't have symptoms but let me see if i can just just clear it up so that that first person that gets unwell or starts developing those symptoms needs to isolate for 7 days after those 7 days they can then stop self isolating doesn't matter what other people are doing in the house they can stop at 7 days um if you live with that person so let's say my girlfriend became unwell and i was living with her i would then need to for a for a minimum uh as long as i didn't develop symptoms self isolate for 14 days and the reason being is that during those first 7 days i can become unwell from from her mm. and so the safe period of time is 14 because it gives me 7 days to pick it up from her and another 7 days to to get over it especially if i don't really develop many symptoms and i'm not really sure i don't really know i have it so that that 14 days is a safe period of time now if i start developing symptoms at any point so if i'm self isolating with her and i start developing a cough or a fever i then my my period of time is then 7 days from whenever i start developing those symptoms okay. so if i develop them on day 2 then actually i i only need to stay self isolated for 7 days and probably only two more days than she will um but if i develop those symptoms at day 13 then i will need to self isolate for a further 7 days so unfortunately i'll be at home for 20 um so it's 14 days as long as you don't develop any symptoms but if you develop symptoms at any point during those 14 days it's 7 days from then okay i think that was really clearly explained thank you because i think it's a lot of confusion around that like you said yeah, yeah. when you develop the symptoms the precautionary risk of not wanting to get it in the first place and if we delve into the precautionary risk kind of element there are more there are some people that are more susceptible than others and i apparently and well i'm one of those now i'm 2 weeks away pretty much when this comes mm. out today from having my first child um which which was or is still very exciting but of course mm. Um, I'm now classified in the same group as the elderly, elderly and those of underlying health conditions, which is why we're doing this remotely over um, the internet recording mm. today, rather than being in the studio. These susceptible groups, yeah, um, is the isolation advice the same? So, in terms of the the, the periods of time, then yes. Um, and at the moment in the UK, the self isolation is only mandatory if you have symptoms. um so with people who are um people like yourself who who at the moment fall into a a higher risk category um you you're not being told to self isolate you can if you choose to but what you are being told is to to really really take the social distancing extra carefully and extra seriously mm-hmm. um so uh, aside from the self isolating the social distancing that everyone is being advised to do is really important because it minimizes our risk of 
um, transmitting the virus to other people in our day to day lives as we as we go about because it's it's very contagious. It's a particularly contagious virus, and so it's very easy to to unwittingly spread it on to multiple people, um, especially as there's some evidence that we can be contagious um, possibly a couple of days maybe longer it's very difficult to know for certain at the moment but before we start showing any symptoms or we can just be contagious with very very mild symptoms that we may be ignoring and so to make to make up for that because it's it's impossible it's very difficult to be uh, absolutely certain this social distancing of of minimizing who you're contacting with minimizing who you hang out with minimizing the the the, the closeness with other people not shaking hands all of that kind of stuff is really important to try and slow the spread of the virus. And so people who are at a higher risk category um, are not necessarily being told to stay at home and self-isolate automatically as of yet, but they are being told to take the social distancing far more seriously than everybody else, if that if that makes sense. No, it, it makes perfect sense. But it's also, I think, a bit worrying when you see that it people don't always know that they may have it and then they're going out and they're not taking this seriously because of course in other countries we're seeing quite extreme measures aren't we we're seeing complete lockdowns at the moment I know this is a very difficult question not one I would normally want to pose to a health professional because I know you can't really give me an answer exactly but do you see a complete lockdown perhaps for over 70s happening anytime soon is there any talk? yeah I I mean personally I do I, I don't think it's necessarily a, a question I can't answer it's I mean it's I don't know for certain but um for as an opinion looking at what's been said so far and looking at what's happening worldwide um I would be very surprised if um if if that wasn't something that was advised soon and I know that the government have already talked about um, I believe this weekend contacting people through through their GPs um, who are at particularly high risk. So that's people, for example, who are on chemotherapy and have a very very um, low immune system or other type other type problems like that. Um, and actually advising them to be to act, to self isolate um, even if they don't have symptoms. And I believe the current plan is is twelve weeks, which is three months, um, which might sound quite drastic, but it's a it's a, it's a very um, precautionary measure to try and save lives, which is, you know, short term frustrating and not a lot of fun, but long term gain. Um, I have and to really reiterate that everything that's being said is is just to help people. It's not the government. Believe me, the government probably don't want to see half of the UK shutting down, but it is safety first, isn't mm. it? Oh, they definitely don't want that because yeah. uh, it's disastrous for the economy. So as yeah. far as they're concerned, they would much rather everyone was back at work. If that was possible, then we would be doing that. Mm. Um, you know, this wouldn't be a this wouldn't be something that was being advised and being planned unless it was completely necessary. Um, so, yeah, I think there will be a time um, quite soon where um, people are being advised to to, to self isolate, even if they don't have symptoms um, for safety. Um, and I think that's going to, uh, I think some of that is going to vary as to how many cases we start having and just kind of how fast things start to ramp up. I think the faster, um, the more likely and the, and the sooner people are going to be told to self-isolate and the more people are going to be told to self-isolate. Um, but again, that's just that it, the difficulty here is that we have to strike a, a sensible balance between uh, being proactive and being reactive. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't envy the, the current position or the, the current responsibility that the government and 
the, the the kind of large team of of advisors and experts are having in regards to making these decisions um, I'm, I'm glad I'm not the one making them let's put it that way no, I know. And for, and for people that are not sure, so high risk groups would be yeah, over 70s, pregnant women. And when we say underlying health conditions, we could mean diabetes, people battling cancer, heart disease, all sorts of things. And currently the rate of, um, well, the numbers that are being announced of deaths in the UK, it's all a certain age range, isn't it currently? Uh, not exactly, uh, but um, well. So just just to clarify one thing. So in regards to the uh, in, in regards to the, the the groups of people that are at higher risk, there's a um, if you go on the the government website, so gov.uk, there's a good list of who we're talking about when we talk about this because we can't go through all of them um, here. Uh, so make sure that that you you do check that out. Um, I, I think what what you're saying about there's a certain group of people. What what we mean by that is there are particular people who are more likely to become seriously unwell from catching the virus, um, just like the normal seasonal flu, where um, the elderly are much um, more affected than than younger people. It's a similar with this. Um, that doesn't mean that younger people are not affected, though. And that's, that's, I think, what's just quite important is that people are thinking of themselves as well. I'm, I'm not vulnerable. Um, you know, I'll, I'll take precautions to protect other people, but actually, I don't particularly care if I get it myself. I'll just self-isolate. Um, but actually, I would, I would, you know, strongly, strongly, uh, kind of stress that nobody wants to get this, um, and I don't think we should be taking this lightly in regards to um, to, to catching this virus at all. Um, it is still, it does still have a much higher mortality rate, even in young people, than the seasonal flu. Um, and so, and the more people that get it, the more young people we're going to see who are, uh, who are seriously ill. Um, and we are already seeing people, uh, under the age of 60, under the age of 50, um, being, being quite unwell and, and needing, needing kind of quite severe support in, in ITU and in hospital. So yeah, I, I, I think we just need to be aware that you're mm. more at risk if you're older and you have underlying health conditions, but you're not automatically going to be perfectly fine. You are likely to be, but I, I just we need to just stress that we need to stop being blasé about it. I think oh, uh, seeing yeah. just oh it's all right, no problem. I'm really healthy. It's no, it's not an issue. I think you're. I think if that's the case, that's great, and I hope that's the case. And I hope if and when I get infected, because I'm likely to working in the hospital, um, I hope that I am fine as well. But it's not a guarantee. No, and thank you so much for reiterating that, because that's part of the problem we have is the blase attitude. And if we do all need to take it extremely ser seriously, if not for ourselves, but for other people around us, for everybody, mm. for the NHS workers that are working day and night at the moment, with beds starting to run out, there's so many things going on. But mm. so the precautionary measures that we currently have, we know the hand washing, although teaching people how to wash their hands, Joshua, seems to have come back into play. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I heard a really, really good way of describing it the other day. Um, <laughs> I had a, a, a wash your hands as if you've just handled a, a really, really hot chili and you're planning, <laughs> and you're planning on putting contact lenses in. So if you if you imagine the, the the precaution or or you're you know or you're touching a sensitive area on on your yeah. body if you've uh, if you don't have contact lenses like I don't um, yeah. yeah if I was if I was uh, if I was going to do that I would be very careful with how I wash my hands to make sure I got as much 
of that chili off as possible. So I thought that was a nice way of thinking about it, really. Well, I love it. I love it. And it leads because there's all sorts of songs and things going. What was so adorable, um, we'll get onto the subject of children soon, is seeing the children singing singing the happy birthday song or yeah. other versions. It almost re- reminded me of CPR training when you're doing the I Will Survive kind of yeah. song. Um, <laughs> but moving on to, you mentioned chilies. So I'm going to move on to a subject of food because, of course, mm. as a new I'm getting tons of questions and as we both know there's nothing really I mean nutrition plays a role in your health but there are no miracles here so should we be changing our eating habits as well that's what lots of people have been asking me I mean it depends what your eating habits are surely yeah Um, and and actually uh, the 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 problem is here and you you asked at the beginning are there people we shouldn't be listening to uh (laughs) one, one, one group of people I would you know, strongly advise unfollowing or uh, blocking or muting or just ignoring totally uh, anybody that that is giving you any sort of advice that is claiming to be able to boost your immune system or reduce your chance of catching the virus. It's it's just not how food works. Food food works over a period of time. So yeah, if you if you don't eat much veg and you don't eat you don't have much balance in your diet then if you change that and you start eating lots more veg and variety and, and you know, a, a, a more stereotypically balanced diet, then, yeah, in, in a few months' time, your general health and your immune system may well be a little bit better. However, it's not going to change anything in the short term at all. Um, and the difficulty at the moment is this whole situation is incredibly stressful for an awful lot of people. Mm. Um, it's, it's bringing up a lot of anxiety um, and, and rightfully so. Uh, and, and people are, people are really struggling with how they're managing their mental health. Um, and so I would argue that really now is not the time to be trying to implement a drastic change in your eating habits. I don't think that's really going to help. I think if you want to start trying to include more veg, then that then that's great. If you, if you don't have much in the first place, but but firstly, acquiring food at the moment is is quite difficult with with yeah. with the fact that people are buying an awful lot of food um, and the 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 supermarkets are empty on a daily basis. So not only is that going to be very stressful um, to try and acquire all this food that you think is going to make you healthier, but you may not feel like cooking very much you may not feel like eating that kind of stuff you may be you may feel better with some of those you know classic comfort foods at the moment and that's that's not a problem like you know this is this is uh, this is a stressful period of time there is time and there's a there's a plenty of time after this to to be more proactive with with diet if you want to do that now that's perfectly fine but it's not you do not have to and and I'll be completely honest my diet has not been amazing over the last couple of weeks but you know that's just that's life at the moment that's what's happening and if I was focusing all of my energy onto worrying that I needed to get my diet sorted because it was going to make me healthier that stress is not going to help your immune system either so I yeah I would just caution against that if I can I think that's again wonderfully explained and the, the previous episode that we did together was um, on relationships with food and mm. at current time and climate like you said anxiety is so high and food can become a coping mechanism for so many people anyway when times like I mean it, it's it's proven everyone's bulk buying um everyone's turning to what they can control in their lives um yeah. what perhaps provides a source of comfort and like Joshua quite rightly said anybody that is offering you 
online a miracle garlic immune boosting recipe um it's the words immune boosting you kind of want to avoid or claiming miracle claims around vitamin c consumption there's lots of so it's very tricky because in different cultures of course there's lots of different beliefs around food now there's lots of different ancient medicinal um types of like ayurveda is a very old medicinal system there's the old chinese medicine there's lots of different elements that people are pulling into and that's totally okay as long as like joshua said you don't believe it's going to protect you or make you suddenly immune to getting Mm -hmm. this and one of the things that's been circulating online joshua is the vitamin c the power of vitamin c now we both know if if only it were that great, because it would cure the common cold. You know, if we were all taking okay. enough, then, then we'd be okay, wouldn't we? But there's a lot of, um, on Instagram especially, people talking about studies in China on the sick using vitamin C. Do you have any information on this, or is it just to avoid? Yeah, so v- vitamin C is something that that often comes up whenever we start talking about viruses, because it's been shown to, um, or it can uh, have the ability to reduce the length of symptoms for for things like the common cold and things like the flu. It doesn't reduce our chance of catching it, but for some people, um, and it tends to be healthy people, it, it can slightly reduce the length of symptoms. Now that's great, but um, there's a big difference between that and the claim that it's going to prevent you from getting it or going to cure the disease. Um, but because of that, Obviously, and, you know, because this is new and novel and we're trying to find any sort of treatment that may work, we're testing an awful lot of different things. Um, And, yeah, there are some tests going on with very high doses of vitamin C um, to see whether or not it it may be a potential treatment. Um, Now, there isn't enough evidence by any stretch of the imagination to suggest that it is a proven treatment or that it's working at the moment. Um, There are some other drugs that seem to be Uh, that seem to be much more positive. Um, I say other drugs, sorry, vitamin C is not a drug. There are some (laughs) drugs that seem to be very positive and we can touch on those in a second if you want. But um, (laughs) vitamin C itself, absolutely not. If it did, we would be using it. Like we're, we're not, like it's not, we're not hiding it from as some great conspiracy. Like we're not like just refusing to use it because oh, a drug company isn't selling it. I mean, a drug companies do sell IV vitamin C. So, <laughs> firstly, that's nonsense. <laughs> Secondly, we would be using it. Like we we will be using all resources we can to try and reduce the burden on the healthcare service because it will save lives if we have something that works. So you know yeah I just I don't really understand that kind of stuff no it's it's all of it it's all the anti-inflammatory foods and people believing we're hiding some kind of miracle of course be as healthy as you can but it's actually quite dangerous just to put a little word of warning in if you go out and suddenly overdose on your vitamin intake now luckily vitamin c is water soluble you'll probably just see a a bright your your urine will be bright yellow or pee away your money yeah, pay away your money is basically the sentence there. But the NHS are really asking now, aren't they, for people to work from home? Mm. And is what? why is this, first of all? Is this going to be more beneficial? Obviously, it's going to help with social distancing. But do you think it's being taken seriously, that message? Uh, well, again, it, it just goes back to what we talked about earlier about the social distancing. You know, working from home is it means you're going to come across a lot less people. Um, it's not it's not uh not everyone's able to do it um and there are a lot of people who um unfortunately are, are losing jobs at the moment because of the fact that you know their their companies aren't able to work from home and you know different businesses are really struggling so 
Yeah, I think if, if you have the ability to, um, then really, for everyone's sake, we should be doing so. Um, and uh, I think I think a lot of businesses are taking that seriously. I'm not sure that all of them are, but I think the majority are starting to at least. And within, obviously, you've been in the NHS. I know you mentioned earlier, you've had about one hour sleep before recording this episode. <laughs> so we are very grateful. How would you say the general vibe is at the moment within the NHS that you're experiencing? Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Uh, it's difficult. It's it's change. It it changes, um, and uh, I think it it changes uh, when you get home compared to when you're on shift. I mean, again, this is, this is our job. Like this is what we do. Um, just the difficulty here is that we're used to, I was thinking about this other, the other day and we're, we're used to, especially in the UK, we're used to being frustrated that the, uh, the, that sometimes there's a lack of healthcare resources. And so we can't necessarily do as uh as perfect a job as we would like to do. We're used to kind of dealing with that frustration, but working hard and trying to work around things. And, you know, it's the job of a national health service where it's, where it's free at the point of service to, to kind of deal with some of those issues and, and make it work. Um, but I think the, the, the change now and the, the thing that feels very different is that we're not used to necessarily being at risk ourselves. So, and that's a very strange, it feels like a weird position to be in. Um, and it is what we signed up for. Like, you know, this is kind of, this is the, the, the kind of ultimate, you know, healthcare job, right? It's, it's working in a situation where, you know, where you're kind of putting your own health at risk, but you're doing it to save others. And, and that, that is, that's kind of the crux of what being a doctor is, but usually you can kind of make yourself feel better and, and, you know, go abroad and do it, especially if you're privileged enough to live in a first world country like the UK. And, you know, you, then you can come home again and you can kind of feel good about what you've done. There is no coming home again at the moment. Like this is just, this is it here. Um, so yeah, it's, there, there's, there's a range of emotions. I think there's a bit of anxiety. There's a bit of frustration. Um, there's a bit of concern that, that 
we won't necessarily do as good a job as we would like to do but it's all you know it's all there and it's all so early and, and unknown so yeah. we're doing our best but um it's uh yeah we're, we're having to remember that we are we are people too and having to try and um you know well, you've been relax when we get home if you know what I mean declutter yeah. Yeah, you're on the front line, which is the expression used, obviously, in the war. Not, not just, um, I guess, you're at war with with the current situation. Yeah, being on the front line. Mm. Is there anything the community? Because a lot of questions I had as well. Um, community can do to support NHS workers at the moment. Anything that would be appreciated or helped? Do you think? I mean, the the the, the slightly double edged thing about this is that really we kind of like there, there's a there's a bit of a consensus that we kind of don't want any help, and that's not like because we can do it ourselves. But actually, as much as we're we're more at risk than than some people, and we you know we we can't work from home and things like that. At the same time, we're you know we're not at risk of losing our job, right? Like we're we're still we we've got a solid salary. Like the, we, I feel very privileged that. I'm not having to worry about things like that. I'm, I feel very privileged that my, my job is consistent. Like I'm not, you know, I, I know where I'm going to be in in a month's time. I'm still going to be working. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It, it's a bit double-edged, isn't it? It's really nice yeah. that there are so many companies kind of giving away free coffee and reducing food. And I'm like, but actually we're not the ones that are, that don't have money at the moment. Like this is, it's yeah I don't really know honestly because that's really actually something that I don't think people had really thought about before and you're right you're in a secure job I guess it's more of a mental health perspective and keeping morale high and being positive yeah. I, I think that the main thing I would ask is just like we like just start taking this seriously please mm-hmm. because yeah. Yeah. The, the, the the more everybody from a public perspective takes it seriously the more resources we're going to have to treat your loved ones and treat you and also treat ourselves there are an awful lot of doctors and healthcare professionals who have been dying in Italy at the moment and it's not you know that's that's not fun and that's something that weighs on our mind slightly as healthcare professionals that you know we are a higher we are a higher risk of getting infected and just because we're young it doesn't mean we're not going to be unwell and if, when we get to a point where our healthcare service is overwhelmed, which we're not massively far from. So slowing it down at every opportunity will be great. Thank you. <laughs> I don't want to be, I'd rather be unwell now when there's still ventilators and ITU beds than get mm-hmm. unwell when there aren't, because I don't automatically get priority just because I'm a doctor. Like that's not how it works. I can't, mm-hmm. you, I can't kick someone off a ventilator just because I'm now need it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's going to get to those kind of very very difficult decisions and I would rather we don't we get there as um infrequently as possible please so yeah you you don't need to give us money you don't need to shout us out on social media just start just start taking it seriously um and uh and try and reduce the number of people that are getting unwell and coming to hospital because you'll be making our job a lot easier and a lot less stressful Completely. And I think it's something when I messaged you and asked you to do this podcast, um, I think you suggested to me, we should really be doing this remotely, Reed, because, you know, you're quite close to giving birth now. and We should all be social distancing. <laughs> There's no need to be a hero. Let's just let's yeah. do this safely. Now, you mentioned younger people, obviously, being a bit blase. But what about children? So we know now things change all the time. Updates are changing. But schools have now been shut. Hmm. Now, is this because children children are carriers because they don't seem to be as susceptible? But again, I've got to be careful of my language here, like you said. 
No, no. So, so, um, so fortunately, it does seem like uh, the situation worldwide is that children, although they can just as easily become infected, they seem to be getting the illness much milder. Um, and uh, there, I believe there's only, I think, and again, this you'll have to possibly check this and it will depend on when you're listening to it. But as far as I'm aware, there seem to be very, very few deaths worldwide, which is which is pretty amazing and really, really good that that's the case. Um, I think there may only be one or two at the moment. And I think one of those was somebody who was immunosuppressed already. Um, mm. So yeah, from that side of things, kids seem to be doing quite well with it. Um, and that's that's quite similar to the normal flu as well. Kids tend to do quite well with the flu. Um, just And I think just their, their immune system in general seems to be pretty good. Um, however, that that's not necessarily the reason for closing schools. So the reason for closing schools... Um, as far as I'm aware, and and from what I've you know been reading about, and and from a uh, from a practical sense, is because because the kids can get unwell, and because they can and and they will be kind of carriers of this, even though they most of them will get very very mild symptoms. If they're in school and there's lots and lots of kids all in a short, all in a tiny location, then the you're going to end up having a lot of kids that then bring the virus home. And as much as we're socially distancing as much as possible, there are grandparents, there are older parents at home, and we don't really want kids bringing it home across the entire nation. Um, So yeah, it's difficult, but I think that's the main reason why why schools are being closed, uh, or at least for, for the majority of children, obviously key workers and healthcare workers and stuff, I think that the schools are still open for them so that they can keep going to work. Um, but yeah, that that's that's the main purpose at the moment. Okay, which, which is good to know. And I think when it comes to anyone worrying about their child, or as a parent to be myself now, I'm I'm worried about obviously having a newborn in a situation where we don't really, like you said, have data thoroughly yet. And whilst it doesn't seem to be affecting newborn babies, is this a concern for pregnant women as well? Should obviously I will probably go into isolation or I think I will to be honest by the minute he's born but should this be a concern for pregnant women the newborns so uh, the difficulty here and and with a lot of um well with pregnancy in general is that we can't really test things on pregnant women and that's for good ethical reasons um (laughs) but it means that it means that we often are on the side of caution right because um, because we've got we've got two lives going on um and we've got so we've got two potential um, two potential people that, that could be affected. Um, and so uh, we, we tend to err on that side of caution, um, mainly because we don't want people to be unwell whilst they're pregnant, because anyone that gets unwell whilst they're pregnant, uh, there's a risk to baby. Um, so we don't want people getting particularly unwell. Um, we, uh, at the moment, I believe that the official advice from, from the Royal College of, of Obstetrics is that um, things like breastfeeding can continue and that there is a very, very low risk to baby and there's very, very low risk to transmission from mother to baby and things like that. Um, but again, more guidance is being kind of released as we go. But at the moment, it all tends, it all seems to be quite positive. Um, so, I mean, I think, you know, post giving birth, I'm, I, I don't really know what the official advice is. But again, people are free to choose and, and to be cautious in whichever way that they want. And actually being overcautious at the moment is better than being undercautious. 
No, I completely agree. And they're already taking precautions for anyone that's pregnant listening, because I know I have a lot of people that are very concerned pregnant women at the moment. Um, and they are saying that actually in hospitals as well, you're not having visitors anymore. It's just you and perhaps even for appointments, not even your partners coming with you. It's just the woman herself going in. They're really, they're really protecting that area of the hospital. So try mm. not to worry too much there as well. Um, now vaccinations uh, for children again, a lot mm. of parents for some reason are a bit worried now about getting their child vaccinated in case they become susceptible which I think you would be much better place to explain as to why we want to encourage them not to miss their jabs yeah well again the, the way that this the way that all viruses work is that if your immune system is is compromised then you're more likely to become unwell or seriously unwell from it and so what you don't want is you don't want a concurrent uh, infection going on so that's two infections at the same time so the that's the reason why people have been advised to keep getting the normal flu jab because let's say you get the normal flu that doesn't mean that you're not going to get coronavirus at the same time so and you're likely to get it much worse if your if your immune system is already currently fighting the normal flu um so having vaccinations against other potential illnesses is a very good thing because it means that you're less likely to be unwell if and when you catch it um, so yeah, we're definitely strongly advising that people continue getting vaccinations. Um, there are obviously this is the kind of time when when anti-vaxxers come out of the woodwork uh, yeah. around this kind of stuff because it feeds off the fear and the insecurity. But please just know that this is actually improving safety, and it is a very very good thing to keep going with normal schedules as much as possible. Um, things may end up getting delayed just because it's going to be difficult to get to the GP for certain things at the moment because we're having to prioritize, you know, other things. But keep keep trying and keep don't avoid the appointments. Just be in contact with the GP service. And if the appointments are available, definitely take them. Great. Thank you. So please. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of misinformation online that we've spoken about numerous times today that people do feed off fear and ultimately it's better to be overcautious, keep going as normal, get your vaccinations and if you can, like Joshua said, there'll be a delay. But when we're looking at things that have changed in life, so I'm going to spin a little positive aspect on the coronavirus, a little one that I have found quite interesting to watch. Hmm. And that's the state of the pollution and looking at footage that came out on the news, I think it was Venice looking at the um, how clear the water was suddenly in the canal and the fish coming back out and perhaps the travel the amount of travel that we've stopped doing may have a positive impact on the environment for short term so there's there's little ways of getting little glimmers of hope as a human race isn't there when big things like this happen we come together and we try to hold on to positive aspects yeah I mean it's a nice side effect that we're delaying climate change by a little bit which is good um I actually probably by quite a lot seeing as there's an awful mm awful lot less um, movement and travel and stuff going on worldwide. Um, I wish that we could be doing that um, via a method that isn't going to lead to lots of people dying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but, um, but yeah, I think, I think looking kind of seeking some of those silver linings is not a bad way. Um, and actually, if anything, I think that just in general, after all of this, I think that as a, as a as a just a, a community worldwide, I think that we're likely to be closer together. I mean, we're so you know our 
our our older generation had things like you know world war Two and the great depression and all sorts of things like that we haven't had anything like this this is the first one we had and we think about especially in the uk we think about what happened after world war Two. everybody was so united as a, as a country that that everybody wanted to create the nhs and the nhs was formed directly after the the second world war to, to to create a health service that everybody could could access for free and everybody had had help for if they were unwell and that stemmed out of that attitude of we're in this together i don't care if i'm paying tax and i don't use the healthcare service because i want my neighbor to be safe because we're we're a team like we're a community and so i'm you know i'm hopeful that there may be a similar that there may be some similar type um feelings after after this as well um yeah. and i'm i'm hopeful that there won't you know there are, there are people that will obviously be be divide would be kind of creating rifts by spreading rumors that it's all a big conspiracy and it's all man made viruses and it's just a, and it's all i i just hope we can quash some of that and we can in general just become closer after all this kind of stuff i'm hoping that we can um yeah. obviously we're having to work together as a community none of us can do this by ourselves and when we start acting you know selfishly we're we're really detrimenting the entire community at the moment so that community spirit is definitely going to to improve by the end of all of this stuff I love that that's what I'm really hoping I've never had so many long distance smiles before when I've mm. <laughs> left my flat at the moment if we finish before I go on to questions um from our listeners mm. with how the NHS is currently coping then how well equipped it is up to this date where we're currently recording uh, it's a difficult question. <laughs> the the difficult question is because we don't we have predictions, but we don't have certainties as to where we're going, right? So if you know exactly what's coming, then you can know whether you're prepared. Um, and the problem is that there's a lot of stuff up in the air. Um, I when we're not as prepared as I would like, as I think the majority of healthcare professionals, if not all healthcare professionals, would like us to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately that that's a that's kind of just a, a a realistic um situation um as to what's going on and and what we have and and the capabilities and the abilities that we have in this country and I, I don't think many healthcare systems are are very well prepared um for for what's going on um we are putting a lot of stuff in in place so a, a lot of things are being cancelled a lot of wards are being redistributed things are being built i mean the the amount that the hospital has changed in the last two weeks to prepare for certain things has been quite amazing um the difficulty though uh, is that the people that are most unwell with this um are going to need to be in itu and are going to need ventilators to help them breathe um to, to so that we can help them breathe for them because they were not going to be able to do it by themselves um just like if you have an operation and you need a general anesthetic um and we breathe for you during the operation it's similar to that but whilst your body gets over the virus um the difficulty is you can't magic those kind of beds out of nowhere um so we are limited with how many of those there are in the country and that's why it's just so so important that we're taking it seriously and trying to minimize how many people get unwell at once um because as much as the service is going to be overwhelmed it's almost a guarantee the 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 kind of the the less overwhelmed as possible the better there, there's no point just giving up because it's going to get overwhelmed 
um, we still need to be minimizing the, uh, the, the impact of that as much as possible for as long as possible. Yeah, because we're seeing on the news hotels being transformed into extra beds and, you know, all these sorts of things coming up. Mm. Um, but like you said, we will prevail in the long run there. That's the thing that we've always had. Um, and we're lucky to have the NHS at the moment. But there isn't a treatment. And I think it's very important to just um, wrap up from me asking you directly. But we don't have a specific cure, do we? And wearing a mask probably isn't going to be effective enough for most people walking down the street. No, not 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 really. Unfortunately, I mean we're 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 trained to use masks in the hospital. We only use them for twenty minutes max at a time. You know, there's certain precautions that we take specifically, um, and the majority of people aren't using masks um, sensibly. And also. If we start using masks in the community, we're going to have less of them in the hospital. We're already we're already having fun with with supply, um, so yeah, please don't please don't take more of it away from where it's needed the most. Um, there isn't a cure, but we are testing an awful lot of things, um, and there are some promising things uh, coming out that look like they're doing quite well. Um, again, not necessarily cure, but if we can if we can use medication um, or techniques to 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 speed up the the recovery of people then it means we can empty beds quicker and we can treat more people um who need it so we're constantly looking to try on new things and the the worldwide community is is really on on fire with how quickly they're doing stuff at the moment again it's just important to be able to sift through and uh, when you see news articles that say oh this treatment is 100 percent effective it's not if it was we'd be using it um and you know drugs are more complicated than just the, than just a news article so yeah we as soon as we get something that's looking promising and has a good safe kind of side effect profile we'll start trialing it and we'll start using it because we need to be um but do trust us on that we're not ignoring stuff that you may think after seeing news articles that are okay. hailing certain cures that have been discovered and things it's not not quite true yet as soon as they are you'll hear about it Please try and trust your health professionals, guys, if you're listening. Now, the questions that I had coming out, I've tried to whittle down to what I thought um, would be current, but also the most informative. So Joe has asked, I think I'm coming down with flu-like symptoms. And he was a bit confused about ibuprofen use because of the press mm. recently. Could we delve into ibuprofen? Should or shouldn't we be using it? Yeah, so it's been a massive confusion over the last few days. I've been having an awful lot of fun on social media trying mm -hmm. to keep people updated. <laughs> um, so the the issue is that there's a there's a particular receptor that the virus binds to in in the lung um, that has a potential mechanism to be upregulated. So that means more of the receptor being present um, with use of of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, so things like ibuprofen. Um, now, this is mechanistic. So what we mean by that is it's theoretical risk, but it's not risk that we actually have any evidence for whatsoever at the moment in the community. And people will have seen lots of these these kind of texts and Facebook messages going around going, oh, well, a doctor in Italy reports that four young people have been unwell and they all took ibuprofen. None of those reports are true. I have no idea who is the person that decides to make them up in the first place. I want to throttle them. Um, <laughs> however, they're, they're all completely made up. There is no evidence whatsoever, um, no strong evidence whatsoever of any uh, any people being unwell because of having taken ibuprofen in, in regards to the coronavirus. However, having said that, just like there's no 
real acute evidence that that pregnant people are uh, are going to be particularly unwell from coronavirus we still like to be precautious right so just like we're advising pregnant ladies to be more um, precautious in regards to self to, to social distancing and potential self-isolation at the moment in the UK we are advising that you try and avoid the use of ibuprofen at the moment if you have symptoms of coronavirus just because we're not entirely sure and we like to be more careful than not um, yeah. that doesn't mean though that you can't take it if you need to so we like to we, we almost always advise taking paracetamol first anyway because it has a much safer side effect profile you take lots of ibuprofen and it can cause some problems with your stomach um, so we always advise paracetamol first anyway but if paracetamol is not keeping a fever down and you're feeling rubbish or you can't take paracetamol or you're allergic to paracetamol or you have liver disease where it means you can't take paracetamol ibuprofen is still fine and you can still take it and it's not going to make you unwell automatically um, so try and try and you know take that advice with a bit of a pinch of salt um, I'm particularly frustrated at France um, for jumping the gun on advice like that with no good evidence and the WHO have officially released a statement as of I believe either yes no the day before see I'm on nights I get confused by the dates <laughs> on the 18th of March they released a statement saying that there is no strong evidence and they do not officially advise people to avoid it. So it's going to vary from country to country, but please do not panic massively about it. Use paracetamol first, and you can use ibuprofen. I will be using it if need be. I'm not going to be avoiding it at all costs. It's just a case of using paracetamol first. And like you said, things do unfortunately vary from country to country and get blown out of proportion. And I think it's difficult for people. And this is a question Amelia's asked. She said, it's worrying because I'm seeing other countries in complete lockdown. Is it safe to go to my usual exercise class? I mean, what precautions should I take? I think she just wants to know if she wants you to tell her, Joshua, can I exercise? <laughs> you can exercise, of course. But I would, I would personally, I would advise avoiding the gym at the moment. Um, mm -hmm. Where you know the, the gym is an environment where you have uh, lots of people in a relatively small environment, you have lots of bodily fluids going around, um, lots of sweat, uh, you're going to be breathing much heavier, you know, you're going to be your, your breath's going to be a lot mistier, you know, when you're when you're exercising. It is just it's a hotbed of, of perfect, perfect scenarios for infection. So, personally, as much as, as, much as I'm sure it's and I'd much as I'd love going, I stopped going to the gym much earlier than most because I as a healthcare professional needed to take more precautions because I need to stay well um, as much as possible to be able to go to work um, so yeah I, I avoided the gym I've been avoiding the gym for about two and a half weeks already um, yeah. deliberately um, and I think we're at a point now where I really think most people should be avoiding as much as possible. I mean get outside it if, if you can Amelia mm. you know can do some little things in isolation by yourself outside or if you're going to go with a friend just keep a long distance um away from them like like we said and you can still do stuff together and actually there's been a big surge in free workouts to do at home so yeah great take advantage of all that now ben has said what can i buy right now to help defend myself uh soap <laughs> if you can even get soap joshua i'm not gonna lie i've um I mean, i'm struggling to buy basic things at the moment <laughs> oh i know oh, well i'm hoping that supplies of that kind of stuff will get better as we yeah. go but um yeah you don't need toilet paper it's it doesn't really seem to cause diarrhea so don't panic about that no. um uh soap is going to be the main thing soap soap uh actually destroys the the integrity of the virus itself um alcohol gel is a next best thing but soap is much better 
So soap, 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 and moisturizer. Um, I'm assuming he wanted some sort of advice in regards to food. It's not going to happen. There is no such thing. No, just to reiterate, um, God, I'm trying to reel off things I've I've been asked. Aloe vera, no. Zinc, no. Vitamin C, no. Basically anything. Insert anything here yeah. equals no. No, precisely. Okay, so we're going to wrap up with our fact or fiction round, Joshua. I know you had one hour sleep, so this is going to be fun. Are you ready? Let's go. (laughs) If you're fit and young and healthy, you're unlikely to catch coronavirus. Uh, Fiction. It doesn't change your likelihood of catching it whatsoever. It changes your likelihood of becoming seriously unwell with it, but you are just as likely to catch it as anybody else. Brilliant. You should carry on taking any pre-pandemic medical prescriptions. Massively correct. <laughs> Do, don't stop anything unless your doctor is telling you to stop it. Brilliant. Homemade sanitizer is just as effective as popular brands. Uh, unless you know exactly what you're doing, which 99.9% of the population does not. And that means you listening, you do not know what you're doing. No, just use soap. Please use soap. It's safest to only consume plant-based foods and avoid meat and fish right now. Uh, what? Why? Why is that? Why is that a thing? You'd be amazed. You'd be amazed at the things I hear at the moment. No, I mean there, there's some. There is some some um, theoretical reason to suggest that we should be uh, we should be avoiding raw foods mm. um, just because cooking a virus is not a bad thing and it can get rid of it. So cook your food, um, but otherwise there's no particular food you have to avoid. Just I mean, I, I'm so, I love sushi, I really do. But I personally, I'm probably going to be avoiding eating raw fish just because, you know, it's not, it's just, just better to cook it right now. Yeah, just no risks, no risks, guys. Drinking water throughout the day can help flush out the virus. Uh, no, but it will make you feel better if you're unwell because staying hydrated is a good thing because when you're unwell, you tend to sweat quite a lot because you've got a fever. So uh, keep drinking, but it's not going to flush it out. It's just going to make you feel better. No. Face masks aren't very useful at all. Fa- uh, n- n- half true. Face masks are useful if used properly in hospital for certain reasons and under certain conditions. Um, but the majority of the way that people are using them, which is putting one on and using it all day and walking around and touching it with their hands and putting it around their neck while they eat and putting it back on their face, does nothing. Okay. It's safe to eat Chinese food. Correct. Support yeah. your local Chinese restaurant. They're being hit more than most at the moment because people are being afraid of eating food from Chinese restaurants, which is uh, xenophobic and not evidence-based whatsoever. So, yeah, no, eat. It's it's. I, I love a good Kung Pao chicken. Oh, gosh, yeah, noodles at the moment for me. Um, oh, chow mein, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, pets can pass on the new coronavirus. Uh, unless you have bats at home, I think you'll be all right. Uh, they've tested and dogs and cats and kind of domesticated animals unless you have some very strange animals seem to be perfectly fine um it's really the least of your concerns um i have a pet hedgehog i'm still playing with him it's fine lovely um it's best to avoid fresh foods and stick to canned and tinned uh no fresh is fine and actually fresh seems to be more what you can find in the supermarket moment which is great um not a bad idea to have canned and tinned in your house if you do end up having to self-isolate and you can't leave to go and buy food because obviously they'll last longer than the fresh will. But um, no, eat the fresh as well. It's great. There is no cure. Uh, at present, no, I'm afraid not. Cure, the only cure is time and your body fighting it off. 
um, hopefully. So, uh, so yeah, at present, and there won't necessarily be a cure. We will hopefully develop a, a, a vaccine to stop people from actually catching it at some point. Um, mm. And hopefully we'll develop some treatment that, uh, that helps the body fight the virus much quicker. Um, mm. But cure isn't necessarily what we're looking for. It's not really, um, it's not, it's not really a, a thing as such. Uh, right. And if it is, it becomes very complex. I mean, it's been pretty amazing to see some of the some of the HIV cures. We've had the second person in the world be cured of HIV recently, uh-huh. which has been quite amazing. Um, but that gets very complicated, and we're not going to be able to give stem cell treatments to the entire world. And they have to be very, very specific and very well matched. So don't go down to your local stem cell facial treatment parlor either, because it's nonsense. No. Um, Joshua, thank you so much. That was an excellent and actually very comprehensive for one hour sleep fact or fiction round. Um, That does nearly wrap up the episode. But as with every guest, we finish with a food for thought. And I think if I start by just saying from my point of view, obviously, as a registered nutritionist, we we do see and we come into contact with a lot of pseudoscience, a lot of conspiracy theories. Food is something I know you all have well, hopefully we'll continue to, and it looks like it is good in the UK, have access to. It is something that can be used as a form of control. And as Joshua quite rightly mentioned earlier, try not to put pressure on yourselves. It it is important to keep your body and your mind healthy to enable you to be more resilient and deal with different situations. But putting pressure on yourself to have to consume items such as turmeric or garlic or Um, suddenly eating mountains of fruit and veg just do what you can do what works for you and please remember that we're not trying to hide anything from you if there were as we said a miracle to vitamin c and zinc consumption we would be letting you know so i think be sensible keep washing your hands um and joshua if you'd like to leave our listeners with one take-home message obviously aware the climate's changing daily with coronavirus but what would that be Oh, yeah. Well, apart from the the wash your hands and social distancing, which is the standard message. Um, personally, I just think I, I, my my thought recently has been that I, I don't think we've been focusing so much on our physical health in such a long time. Um, I think that we're in a climate at the moment, obviously, where it's it's at the forefront and we're thinking about staying well and healthy. And I just think it's really important that we remember that our overall health is our mental health as well. Um, and there's an awful lot of things that can be really detrimental to our mental health at the moment. Um, and just keep an eye on that, keep an eye on, you know, feeling bad about not being able to exercise, keep an eye on, you know, not feeling bad about, you know, oh, I didn't eat enough veg today. Keep an eye on how much consumption of the news and social media you're having just, you know, this, your mental health is going to be personally, I think it's going to be the thing that gives first at the moment in this kind of climate. And we need to be really, just really careful and just keeping an eye on these kind of things and and making sure that we're looking after ourselves in, in both of those aspects, not just focusing on, I need to be well, I don't want to catch a virus or just, you know, our mental health is, is going to play a big impact on how we feel over these next few months as we're sorting stuff out and getting through this stuff so yeah don't don't neglect it there we go well Joshua thank you so much for giving up the time and to give us all this invaluable information I'm hoping it's going to be so reassuring for everyone so thank you for coming on food for thought no worries thank you for having me I'm gonna I'm gonna have a nap now if that's okay Yay, you can go have all the sleep you need. <laughs> 
If you enjoyed this episode, you're going to absolutely love what's coming next week. So make sure you click subscribe to be the first to hear it. And please do leave a five-star review. It really does help to get this podcast out there so that we can reach higher highs in the charts and hopefully be able to help more people. For more information about my nutrition clinic, books, healthy recipes, events, retreats, and so much more, please visit retrition.com and follow me at retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.